This is the Education Gadfly Show. This is another sign that Twitter, that, that Amber is not on Twitter. <laughs> she, would, she would see me. You two are plugging us What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli at the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. Here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now, please join me in welcoming my special guest for the week, the Emmanuel Macron of Education Reform, Matt Chingos. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Matt, so, you know, we always have this little thing we do with pop culture or, or other things. The new, this week, it's politics. Mm-hmm. New, new French president. But, you know, you remind me of him, Matt. You're, you're kind of, you're, you tend to be centrist. You're very smart. You're young. I mean, you kind of, you know, yes. I, but as far as I know, you're not married to somebody who's like 20 years older than you. Not. <laughs> and Matt doesn't want to talk about that topic. Turns out it was his teacher in middle school. But we're, we won't talk about that. But I find that interesting. This is news to me. This is very... Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting political dynamic over in yeah. France. Yeah. I mean, if Donald Trump were married to his middle school teacher, she'd be like pushing 100. And that would be weird. Okay. So Matt is a senior fellow at the Urban Institute. You have done so many cool studies at Brookings, at Urban, I guess, what, at Harvard before that? Yep. Yeah. Postdoc, that- grad student. Very good. Well, we're excited to have you on the show with us today. I guess not talking about, you refuse to talk about Macron. Is that right? You're, you're just not going to bite on that one? I was just thinking, you know, maybe a podcast, family-friendly family podcast, <laughs> you know, talking about the abuse of minors. Uh, uh, fine, fine. Matt's, <laughs> Matt's gone through media training. He's very, very seasoned in this. Darn it. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, okay. that's all right. Because that's not, we're not talking French politics. We're talking ed reform. Let's do our ed reform update. So, Matt, what I want to talk about today, something we've been talking about on the show quite a bit, of course, Mm -hmm. is school choice. You have done some of the best research on school choice, including a famous study where you and Paul Peterson were able to track uh, the long-term outcomes of students who went through a school voucher program, I believe in just Washington, D.C., or was this the one? New York York, City. New York City. I'm sorry, New York City. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about that study, but I'm also just curious. There's, There's courses in the news, big debate around school choice, thanks to President Trump picking Betsy DeVos as a sector of education. We were waiting for some kind of big school choice proposal. There's been a slew of studies coming out lately, including in D.C. most recently that have had negative findings. And so now there's some conventional wisdom out there that says, oh, well, the conventional wisdom is that voucher research shows that vouchers don't work. How would you how would you describe it if a journalist, not a fake journalist like me, but a real journalist asked you, what does the evidence show on school vouchers? How would you answer that question? I would say we have a long history of you know, studies of vouchers showing you know, neutral to positive effects. And then the last year or so, that changed. And we got all of these disappointing results from places like Louisiana, Indiana, Ohio, mm-hmm. and now D.C. And until a week or two ago, I would have said, well, about Louisiana and Ohio and uh, Indiana, the thing that made those different from earlier studies is they were based on state tests. Yep. The old studies were based on low stakes, norm reference tests, where now the new generation of studies is based on these state tests, which maybe are higher stakes in the public schools. The public schools are more aligned to them and whatnot. So what made DC such a big deal is it was more like the older studies in terms of being based on low stakes tests. Mm-hmm. So I think a negative effect on low stakes tests is indeed disappointing. Now, in the long run, of course, we want to know well, what happens to these kids beyond test scores in one yep. year. What happens in two and three years? You know, Louisiana, we did get a second year and didn't look a whole lot, a little yep. better. Yep. But Third year's coming soon, I understand. Yeah, right. and, and D.C. was a one year. We've talked about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you can expect that kids moving to a new school are probably going to lose ground. And we've seen that from other research, right? And then they make it up over time, at least in, in some of the studies for vouchers or for charter schools. So uh, we really got to kind of wait on the D.C. verdict at least a few more years. But what do you think about how does the long-term impact stuff fit in. I mean, people, a lot of the voucher supporters say, hey, 
All right, so maybe it's mixed on test scores, but still the evidence we have is that, especially on the school voucher side, you see these very positive long-term outcomes. All else equal, the long-term outcomes are more important than test scores, right? People care more about, do you graduate from high school? Do you Mm -hmm. go on to college? Do you earn a good income, live a good life? The problem is it takes a long time for that to accumulate. So if tomorrow we got a good long-term study of the effects of the original program that Pat Wolf and his team evaluated from the 04 and 05, the early cohorts. In D.C. In D.C. They got positive effects on reading scores after three years and positive effects on high school graduation rates. So let's say you also got positive effects on college enrollment. You'd say, great. But that was from the earlier cohort, mm-hmm. right? Before DC has changed and all the ways it's, it's changed over the last 10 plus years. So the disadvantage of the long-term studies is that you have to wait a long time for the evidence mm-hmm. to come. So it's going to be older evidence. So it's, well, do I want newer evidence or do I want older evidence on more important outcomes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the other thing that surprised me or I found pretty interesting about the latest DC study was so many of the students were kindergarten and first graders. And to me, I'm a former kindergarten teacher. That seems like a notoriously tricky age to really pin down with a test, even if it is a low stakes test. Does that you know, have any impact on the weight that we should give the results or how we should interpret what we're seeing in the findings? And we should certainly put more weight on the results as we get more years of data. Mm-hmm. But it's certainly true if you look in the IS report, they break out elementary school versus middle school. And mm-hmm. I and the elementary effect was a big negative effect, bigger mm-hmm. than the average yeah. effect. And the high school effect was a positive effect, not mm-hmm. large enough to be statistically significant. Mm-hmm. But the estimate was positive. So it suggests that maybe there's something different going on there. And yeah, I think we absolutely ought to want to see what happens to kids as they go kindergarten, first grade mm-hmm. to older grades where testing is more of a kind of normal thing as opposed mm-hmm. to just this one-off thing for a study. Yeah. You know, some people, including Jay Green, have been making this argument that say, you know, in a lot of these studies, both vouchers, charters, other things as well, we see mixed messages where let's say the vouchers or charters don't do that great on test scores, but they do significantly better on long-term outcomes or vice versa. And therefore, the lesson is these test scores don't actually predict much of anything and we're putting way too much weight on them. What's your take on this? I really don't know uh, what, what you're going to say on this. I know what I believe. Should we stop paying attention to test scores because they don't matter? What, what do you think? I mean, should we put less weight on test scores? I mean, I think it depends on how much weight you're putting on them. If you're yeah. putting too much weight on them, then you should put uh, <laughs> you should put less weight on them. And do policies that put everything on test scores put too much weight on them? Yeah, they probably do. Do they perfectly predict what's going to happen in the long run? Of course not. But I think we still have a pretty good slew of studies of things like the Tennessee class size Mm -hmm. experiment, the Texas accountability program, where you see effects on test scores in the short run. And then in the long run, you do see effects on long run things. So, I mean, I guess if we had something better in the short run to predict long run effects, that would be great. But we still have to make decisions Mm -hmm. in the short run. We can't wait 10 or 20 years to make decisions, at which Mm -hmm. point the evidence is less relevant than it was 10 or 20 years ago. So we need something and maybe it shouldn't be test scores. Maybe we ought to be trying out other things. Mm -hmm. I know there's a surge now towards more non-cognitive type stuff. And if we can come up with good measures there where the short-term effects on those are better predictors of long-term effects, well, then we could shift the weight we put on these different things in the short run. All right. Last question. Let's say a legislator came to you. Let's leave aside the federal stuff because that gets so complicated. But let's Mm -hmm. say Tennessee, they've been debating for years a school voucher bill has never quite gone across the finish line. But let's say somebody said, look, Next year, 2018, this is going to be the year we do it. But we want a program that is likeliest to really boost student achievement for the kids participating in this program. What advice would you give them based on the evidence we've got right now? I don't think we really have a good idea how to do that. We, we have. <laughs> I mean, that's exactly. I mean, it's, that's the honest answer, right? But this is an issue that has been studied almost more than any other issue in education policy by so many different people, and yet we have no advice to give to policymakers. Isn't that crazy? 
I mean, the studies we have until recently were of smaller scale programs. Yeah. I mean, DC is obviously a special mm-hmm. case. The earlier studies of New York City, the one that Paul Peters and I followed yeah. up on, and him and Will Howell and some others had also done Dayton and an yeah. earlier program at DC were small, privately funded programs. We're now starting to get, I mean, I think it's going to be evidence from places like Louisiana, Ohio, Indiana, and if we can get some evidence on places like Florida that have been doing this for a while and understand not just the average effect, did it work, did it not, but yep. for whom did it work? Yep. For whom mm-hmm. did it not work? We'll mm-hmm. start to give us some more ideas about how you design one of these things well. Yeah, yeah. And what accountability requirements or other regulations should you or should you not attach, right? And this is, this is certainly a huge debate uh, within the school choice. Mm-hmm. You know, those of us at Fordham have long argued that, hey, if you're going to get public money, uh, you need to be held accountable for results and that that'll lead to better quality overall. You know, the libertarian friends of ours say, uh, disagree on philosophically, but also worry that if you add those requirements, private schools won't participate or the best private schools won't participate. And that will, in fact, turn drive down performance. You have to think and, about what your goals are, what yeah. the policymakers' goals are. Yeah. I mean, for some people, it's just they want kids to have more choices. Yep. And they're willing to accept a negative average impact yep. on test scores because people were choosing. Right. But we also have to acknowledge that you know, evidence research can tell us some things, but we also just got to use some common sense best we can uh, because uh, it's not going to answer all the questions that we've got. Right. All right. Tricky topic. Good. Okay. Thank you, Matt Chingos from the Urban Institute. Appreciate you joining us. Hope you come back. Thanks for having me. All right. Now it's time for everyone's favorite. We may have talked about research a lot, but that doesn't mean it's not time for Amber's Research Minute. Amber, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Mike. We, we've been talking research without you. I know. You're stealing my thunder. I don't like that. I don't I, like that at all. We should have Matt on to do the research minute That would sometime. be what? Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, uh, excuse us, Amber. You don't always show up. We have to have replacements. Well, all right. He can be tier two. So, you know, Matt, Matt told us was that after 20 years of school voucher studies by all sorts of people, I asked him what advice, you know, we should yeah. give to a what legislator like in Tennessee, yeah. you know, how he should design a high quality program. Uh-huh. He said, yeah, we have no idea. Blanks there. <laughs> no, no idea. I thought that was coming. This, you've been telling me this, man, it is a problem. I'm yes. like, I, it's so hard to find research that actually informs policy. We'll That's right. But it's also hard to find research that informs practice. Right. What are you researchers right. doing? No, no. <laughs> it just doesn't boil down very well into nuts and bolts. I'm sad to say because we get nervous when people do that, right? Like, well, it was just one study or it was just three and it wasn't replicable and it was under these yeah. conditions. So it wasn't a randomized know. control trial. Look, We're just we, full of caveats. <laughs> Look, we did that too. I mean, we just came out with a study, which by the way, we've never covered on the research minute, which we should. We should. About three signs that a proposed charter school might not succeed. That's right. Right. Great study. But we basically, the main point in our forward was, please don't actually use, use this. this. To, to just knock did, out school, yeah. Yeah, potential schools. That's you know, right. th- this is things like, you know, a Waldorf or Montessori model. Well, it's hard. These are That's more right. likely to, to do poorly, right. at least as judged but by test But don't take it to the extreme. Still yeah. use common sense. So yeah. Common sense is always a good recommendation, I think. Yes. We should cover that study at some point. I didn't realize that we hadn't, you know, sometimes I feel like bad when we're pumping out our stuff and kind of plugging our own stuff, but. I guess I shouldn't care about that, right? Yeah. Like, it's a good study. This is another sign that Twitter, that Twitter, that Amber is not on Twitter. Because <laughs> if she You're would, plugging, she would see you, me. You two are plugging our self-promotion <laughs> 87 times a day. No comment. You guys got that covered for me. All right. All right. What you got? We got a new report that examines the impact of state takeovers. We don't see too many of those, mm-hmm. right? But I don't know about you guys, but I always heard about this one in Lawrence, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Haven't you? Mm-hmm. I mean, I've never actually read about it. So I saw it. I'm like, hey, here's the study about mm-hmm. it. Um, it's a mid-sized industrial city, 30 
30 miles north of Boston. Deep poverty, a high percentage of Hispanic students, and roughly 80% of them are English language learners. Hmm. Okay. Uh, district enrolled in approximately 13,000 students in 28 schools in fall 2011. When the Massachusetts Board of Elementary and Secondary Education classified LPS, Lawrence Public Schools, as a level five district, which is the lowest rating in their five-tiered accountability system. And then they placed it into receivership. Mm. All right. The receiver, I don't know this guy, former Boston Public Schools Deputy Superintendent, took it over in 2012. He was granted broad discretion to alter the collective bargaining agreement to require staff to reapply for their positions to extend the school day or year, among other powers. All right, real quick, the turnaround, like people say, okay, what did they do, right? Because mm-hmm. it was fairly successful. Um, it boiled down to five major components. Number one, the setting of ambitious performance targets. So they had goals that were, I guess folks thought they were reasonable. Uh, number two, uh, they increased autonomy, school autonomy, by, by reducing spending at the central office by $6.6 million in the first two years mm-hmm. to basically push that down to the school level Mm -hmm. and provide differentiated levels of autonomy and support based on the school's prior performance and capacity. So in other words, you know, you get more or less support depending on how your kids are Mm -hmm. doing and whether you have the capacity to carry some of this stuff off. Number three, staffing changes, which I could talk about that, but bottom line is it resulted in 50% of principals that were let go in the first two years and the lowest performing teachers were let go. It actually ended up only being 8% that were let go before all the receivership happened. Um, but between the retirements and the resignations where people were like, man, I don't want to be a part of this. Mm-hmm. It was about a third of teachers mm-hmm. were new of which they partnered with TFA to replace them. Wow. Hmm. Number four, teaching teachers how to, uh, to use data to drive instruction. We always mm-hmm. hear that. Yep. And number five, increased learning time. What was interesting here was the main way that they did it, or one of them, was these things called Acceleration Academies. And at first, I'm like, eh, you know, what's that? But it's a two-week intense small group tutoring program offered during the spring break and the winter break. Those two Hmm. weeks where kids are like, you know, just getting intense instruction in math and ELA. What's interesting is the students, yes, were chosen by their principals. So you're assuming like, okay, the principals have an idea of which kids are going to take it seriously, which really need the help. But they put on like this big deal to recruit the outstanding teachers across the district mm-hmm. and across the country huh. they like hold you know a pretty big deal and they give them this fancy sort of weekend at Harvard where they get to I guess network with other mm-hmm. teachers around the country and then the kids get all sorts of prizes like sports tickets and target cards and huh. so on and so forth so that's kind of an interesting piece to all this all right mm-hmm. finally I'm at the findings I know I've been blathering on they basically examine within student changes whereby they compare students to themselves over time. They look at the trends before and after the turnaround period, and they compare LPS to demographically similar districts that were not subject to turnaround. Okay, mm-hmm. it's an indifferences model if you care about that. Number one, they find sizable impacts on math achievement. For instance, by year two, the turnaround had had improved LPS math scores by 0.29 standard deviation when compared to other low-income districts. So that's pretty, pretty good. good. Yeah. Wow. However, it had modest impacts on ELA, just 0.02 to 0.07 standard deviation that small. English language learners in particular saw large gains in math in both years, uh, moderate ELA gains. The gains were more pronounced at elementary and middle school versus high school level. They talk at length about the selection bias issue with the acceleration academies, but basically their most rigorous, they go through all these models, but their most rigorous model still pointed out, kind of led you to believe that those tutoring programs made a significant difference. As we've seen uh, elsewhere. And the right? impact, right? Mm-hmm. These one-on-one or yeah. small group tutoring, mm-hmm. we keep hearing it again and again and again. In just two weeks? Two weeks. 
but no impact on remaining enrolled in school, graduating in 12th grade. Uh, what's the other one? Attendance. So there were some things where, you know, you might expect it would have made an impact, but it didn't. Still fairly encouraging. Um, it's two years, so we want to see if these things persist. Yeah. And big question, can it be replicated? Right. Always right. the big question. Yeah, but it's, it's interesting. Look, you know, we point to this in a fairly recent brief about ESSA, about mm. the kinds of things that states should be thinking about doing with their Title I school improvement set-aside money. Mm-hmm. You know, can it be replicated? Look, I think you can uh, certainly, states could handle doing one or two of these at any mm-hmm. given time. Mm-hmm. You know, in Ohio, there's a district kind of similar, probably a little mm-hmm. bit smaller called Lorraine, where something mm-hmm. kind of like this is going on. But it can't be 50. You know, it's, yeah, it's like a handful. Right. Uh, but right. if they're the lowest performing districts and they're not huge, you said, like, this might be able to work. Mm-hmm, right. Yeah. And you got a receiver that people, I noticed this guy was from Boston, right? They didn't bring somebody mm-hmm. in yeah. that, that they didn't know. And, and he went in, and they tell you in the report, he went in, did a lot of interviews, really tried to understand yeah. the situation. So mm-hmm. just going in there and firing everybody. And there yeah. was some kind, I forget what it is, but in Lauren, I think they have something where they're still, if not the elected school board, there's some kind of local governance arrangement. So there's mm-hmm. still, you know, to address this concern that you often you see in these situations, people feel like, you know, the state is taking control, they're mm-hmm. disenfranchising local voters, right. all that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. which can be uh, difficult. I think they address that in some mm-hmm. way. Yeah, I think just how you handle the political situation is a huge factor in whether or not any of these kind of delicate governance operations really do turn out to be successful. If it's comprehensive, it mm-hmm. it kind of addresses these concerns and these elephants in the room. Those types of programs seem to have a stronger record of success than programs that don't go about the local situation in the same fashion. And I just think for this one, when you read some of the fine print, I mean, they kind of made some of these interventions seem like a really cool thing to do, Mm -hmm. right? Like just the way they recruited teachers, they give them awards. I think they had worked with a foundation to give some of these teachers some significant awards Mm -hmm. for being selected and chosen. They made it kind of prestigious. Mm -hmm. And for the kids, I mean, gosh, they get pictures of the kids with all their little sports tickets and all their like, what do they call that when you go to the Academy Awards? The swag. The swag. Right? They get tons of swag bags. And these kids are like, they're happy to be there. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, cool. it's a lot in the presentation of how you get think kids mm-hmm. excited and teachers excited about trying to really dig in their heels and do the hard work. Very I think cool. we need some trips to Lawrence, Massachusetts. Come <laughs> yeah. on, people. No more trips to Finland. We just got to go north. <laughs> That's right. All right. Good. Hey, that's encouraging. Uh, a little more encouraging than Matt's, uh, you know, I- idea that there's nothing we can learn from the last right. 20 years of Never. school. Right. Not nothing, but that, you know, for, for policymakers. But folks, look, we need examples of some things that show promise. That and this yes. sounds like it's promising. Uh, got to be done right. It is. Of course. All right. That is all the time for this week. Until next week. I'm Alyssa Schwing. And I'm Mike Petrilli of the Thomas Fordham Institute signing off. The Education Gadfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.